Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. Mental health among sports athletes has been a major topic of discussion during the Summer Olympics. I'll speak with Dr. Wally Bizdell, Union College Athletics Sports Psychologist, about that. And I'll stay on the Union campus as I talk to former Dutchman pitching standout Jake Fishman about his Summer Olympics experience with Team Israel. Week 3 of the Saratoga horse racing season is in the books, and Week 4 is on the way. The Whitney draw took place Wednesday morning, and Mike McGadden was there. He's joining us now to talk about that and other topics, Saratoga. Mike, uh, how's it going, and uh, what can you tell us about the Whitney draw? Uh, it's going very well over here. We were supposed to have a beautiful week of weather, um, and as of now, it's not supposed to really start raining again until Saturday night, so hopefully we can clear the Whitney and not have any issues with that. So no, um, so no, so no muddy seal tracks. Uh, not for the foreseeable future. Of course, this is Saratoga, so um, the, the weather uh, operates on a whim here. So I, I'm not going to commit totally to that, so don't quote me on any of this weather stuff. But anyway, um, yes, they did draw the Whitney this morning. Short but very competitive field of some really um, good older horses that are going to be going a mile and an eighth on Saturday in the future race. One million dollar Whitney. I'll just run down the field real quick because there's only five of them. Uh, in the one hole will be my, my by my standards, uh, Silver State riding a, let's see, six-race winning streak. He drew the two-post. The Philly Swiss Skydiver at 6-1 to one is in the three. Then we got Nick's go with a 6-5 to five favorite in the four, and Max Field rounds up the field uh, at 8-5 to five in, the, in the outside five holes. So pretty good field. Um, you'd like to see it a little deeper than this, but... If it's going to be five, it's a pretty good five to get, um, especially with the intrigue of the Philly Swiss Skydiver being in there, um, which, of course, as, a, as we've talked about before, is a product of trainer Kenny McPeak's barn being in quarantine for 21 days because of an outbreak of uh, or a positive test of equine herpes virus 1, EHV1, which um, causes respiratory problems, and it's very contagious, and it if it gets really bad, it can cause some neurological issues too. So, uh, a two-year-old horse from a, with another trainer who uh, had stalls over at Kenny McPeak's barn tested positive, so they had to put the whole operation in lockdown, and that caused all kinds of headaches for Kenny McPeak, who had horses just primed to uh, kick butt in the early stages of this meet, and then had to put it on hold and think of some alternate plans, including Swiss Skydiver, who lands in the Whitney when she was supposed to run in the Shuvie, um last weekend, or two weekends ago, whenever that was. But they had to kind of make an adjustment, so now we've got a filly in the Whitney. Um, I believe it's the first time there's been a female horse entered in the Whitney. Uh, I know Personal Ensign won it in 1988, um, the Hall of Famer undefeated. Um, and I don't believe there's been any entered since 88. Um, I know we've had some fillies in the Woodward at the end of the meet. Uh, Rachel Alexander, Alexandra and uh, Hav de Grasse uh, both ran in the, in the Woodward later. But this is very unusual. And, of course, again, it's a byproduct of the circumstances uh, with Kenny McPeak's um, uh, barn. Nick's go, 6-5, legit favorite. Um, he, uh, he started the season off by winning the uh, Pegasus World Cup, which is uh, a massive uh, purse in January. And since then, they sent him over to to uh, Saudi Arabia to run in the Saudi Cup, and he finished fourth there. Um, came back, was fourth in the Met Mile on Belmont Stakes Day, and then so they wanted to give him a little confidence booster, and he went out and crushed uh, a grade three stakes called the Cornhusker at Prairie Meadows uh, by ten and a quarter lengths. And he looks like the speed of the field here, so he's going to be blasting out of there from the four hole and then we'll see what develops behind him yeah he mentions it's a small field uh be is that be what is that going to do before the favorite next me uh, uh does that affect the favorite or uh, do you think the Knicks go no and, and, and Knicks go i specifically asked trainer brad cox this at the draw i said you know because of your horse's running style is the post position and the, the short field maybe less of a factor because he looks like the only one really didn't matter 
where he broke, and he said, no, it, for us, it, it really shouldn't play a role because he's going to blast out of there. Now, we saw, um, you know, the potential for difficulty happening when Malathot lost the coaching club American Oaks a couple weeks ago in, in a four-horse field where she was the one-to-two favorite and, and had to do all the dirty work all the way around and then just barely got beat at the end. So, yeah, the short field can be kind of tricky. You know, it's easy to think, well, I only have to beat three or four horses and that shouldn't be hard but um weird thing weird traffic thing believe it or not can happen in a short field but it won't really affect nick's go as long as he gets out of the starting gate without any issues because he's really the only one that that wants to get to the lead get you know establish a lead early so if he can just clear out of there he can run his race and not worry about you know other jockeys kind of um, maneuvering into position to box him in and stuff like that so um shouldn't be an issue in this case yeah you mentioned kenny mcpeak and swiss skydiver you had a story in monday because because that with uh yep. talking to mcpeak and he still seemed a little bit unhappy he wasn't able to race not able to race his horses to what friday or saturday yeah well that was kind of a new development that he claims he didn't know about until the last minute when they you know what they do is they draw these races 72 hours out in on the new york racing association circuit um, although in the case of like Wednesday, I think they even, they draw it even earlier than that because he got the two dark days, uh, Monday and Tuesday. Um, so he claims that he went, tried to enter horses in on, and we're, we're doing this on Wednesday, recording this on Wednesday. He, he was trying to enter horses on today's card and found out at the last second from the New York state gaming commission designated steward of the three that um you know regulate the races up here that he wouldn't be able to enter um i guess with the idea that if your horse isn't eligible to train or do anything on the day of the draw then they're not eligible to race even though the race falls outside of the quarantine period you know assuming that the quarantine um ends when it was scheduled to which it did which was sunday so he thought he was going to be able to enter horses wednesday thursday uh and sunday for that matter um this week and was told that he couldn't so he was very mad about that uh i'm not sure to me it seems like kind of a silly rule because if you're if the quarantine is lifted then you ought to be able to race as soon as that you hit that deadline mm-hmm. and but they were told that they couldn't and it was because they they weren't allowed to enter while they were in quarantine even though they were trying to enter races that fall outside the quarantine yeah i mean it was kind of a muddled messy thing and and i don't blame him for being mad but at, uh, at the same time it, uh, one of the things he was mad about was he he was never told this um so in the meantime he's exploring legal avenues i really don't know exactly what he hopes to accomplish there he said he wants the rules to be clearer so that this doesn't happen to anybody else but like from a legal standpoint i'm not sure exactly what they can do they can't exactly go into a time machine two weeks prior and suddenly realize that they can't enter these races so um so yeah we're lawyering up again that seems like that's all we do around here yeah. but um so I don't, I don't really don't expect anything to come of it but in the meantime he was already contemplating putting Swiss Skydiver in the Whitney. It had nothing to do with this latest development that he was speechifying about on uh, Sunday. And the other one that's kind of interesting, and we watched him work on the turf for the first time, is King Fury, who is going to be a horse you want to watch on the Travers radar later in the meet, but he's running in the Saratoga Derby Invitational, which is a, um, a turf stakes on, that one's either Saturday or Sunday, um, because they just he's ready to run and he couldn't run in the gym dandy last weekend so they're sticking him in this turf race as a setup for the travers later but that's a horse to watch uh, king fury out of kenny mcpeak's barn that they they still want to run him in the travers later yeah well let's take a look uh what what happens to the highlights in uh week three essential quality uh, in the gym dandy and jackie war jackie's warrior in the amsterdam were very uh dominant horses yeah essential quality didn't he didn't dominate his race, but he took care of business, and he never dominates his races. He just wins them. His only loss, the only thing he's done wrong in his whole career is finish a length behind Medina Spirit in the Kentucky Derby. Um, other than that, he's won everything, and um, you know, he did a nice job just kind of grinding out the victory in the Jim Dandy. They got 
out of it what they wanted, which was a race on the track. He's never raced at Saratoga, which should set him up nicely for uh, the Travers. Um, and it was sort of a Travers prep preview weekend because they also had the curling last Friday, uh, one by Dynamic One, who um, had not raced since he finished 18th in the Kentucky Derby back on May 1st. And Todd Pletcher was pretty optimistic about his future after he did a nice job winning the curling. So we're probably going to see him in the Travers as well. And meanwhile, Jackie's Warrior did dominate and was one of the most impressive performances of the meet so far. Uh, won the uh, Amsterdam by seven and a quarter lengths. He's three years old, but afterwards, trainer Steve Asmussen said, I, you know, I'm, we're not afraid to put him up against anybody as long as the race is two, is one turn, which, you know, it's, is more of a sprint distance. Um, and I know at Belmont Park, you know, a mile race is, is one turn because Belmont Park is gigantic. But um, he's not, he'll throw, I, I, it'd be interesting to see when he chooses to throw this horse against older horses, uh, you know. The Amsterdam is an obvious setup for the Alan Jerkins on Travers Day later in the meet, which is seven furlongs, one turn. So he's going to stick and stick with his age division for the time being. But he said, I, I'm, I wouldn't be afraid to throw him in against anybody if they're going one turn on the dirt. So he's one to watch um, in the sprint division uh, later based on that dominating performance in the Amsterdam. Well, on Friday is the uh, induction of the Hall of Fame for Todd Pletcher, the outstanding trainer and one of the great horses, uh, American Pharaoh. What, what's that going to be like on Friday? Well, I was just talking to Brian Bouye, um, the communications director over there this morning. So I was, you know, they're actually inducting two classes because they weren't able to induct last year's class right. because of the pandemic. So I was a little worried. You know, the, one of the jokes that whoever um, – uh, gets up there at the beginning. It's probably Ed Bowen or somebody like that. Gets up and one of the first thing they say is, "Well, we're going to try to hustle this along because we know you guys are going to want to try to make it to the track to, so you can bet the the early double." Um, so the thing starts at ten thirty, and usually they're done by twelve thirty. I was a little worried because they're putting in two classes that it might run over. But he said, "No, there's actually total. There's only ten inductees, uh, which is actually less than you know in two thousand nineteen when they had one class that that was very big." So. Time-wise, it should be it should be okay. Todd Pletcher goes in the first year that he's eligible and a no-brainer. And if anybody, if it wasn't unanimous, I didn't see the voting totals, but um, any, any holdout of not voting for him, like really should have their privileges revoked. <laughs> um, just outstanding. And, and one of the, and, you know, certainly some of the highlights, Super Saver won the Kentucky Derby for him, but one of the highlights of his Hall of Fame, now Hall of Fame career um, that I was fortunate to witness firsthand was, which I'll be mentioning in my story, um, was rags to riches out dueling curling and the Belmont stakes, which to this day is still one of the like spine tingling moments that I've witnessed firsthand. So, um, I expect that'll get a mention. Um, he's being introduced by one of his owners, Mike Rapoli, who, um, if anybody's heard him talk, would really share my concern about the ceremony going long. But I've been told that he's been told he only gets a minute after the video a highlight thing. We'll see if, if he sticks to that. In fact, Todd Fletcher was joking before the meet. He said, Rapoli's intro speech is going to be longer than my acceptance speech. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that on Friday. Um, but obviously Todd Pletcher, well-deserving and a big part of his success in North America over the years has been what he's done at Saratoga. I don't have the number off the top of my head of how many meet titles he's won here, but he did win it last year. I think that might've been his 13th or something like that in, in 25 years as a head trainer. Um, and he, he specifically said when, when he was first an assistant trainer under D Wayne Lucas, that that's when he realized the importance of this meet to, to that operation. And that's certainly carried over to, to his career as a head trainer as well. And then, so it is a shorter class. It's Pletcher and uh, steeplechase trainer, Jack Fisher and American Pharaoh, who of course uh, won the triple crown in 2015. Uh, the first one to do so in 37 years. And obviously this, and this is the first year that he's eligible and he's a, another no brainer. You win the triple crown, you get in the hall of fame. Yeah. That's, that's my rule. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, Bob, Bob Baffert is not expected to be there. Although I've heard rumblings that he will be at the sales next weekend. So, um, it'd be okay, interesting okay. to see him circulating around, but I know he won't be at the hall of fame ceremony itself. The owners, uh, Ahmed and Justin Zayat, they'll be the ones uh, doing the acceptance speech apparently. 
Um, but American Pharaoh, we'll, we'll see some pretty cool highlights between the Pletcher Highlight Reel and American Pharaoh on uh, Friday for yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of other trainers, uh, Steve has Moosin, uh probably is going to break the all-time career training victories as we tape right now. Uh, he needs three to tie. Well, he, he actually needs two because he had one at uh, Louisiana Downs on Tuesday. <laughs> okay. he, he won one race there or, or somewhere, Ellis Park. I think it was Louisiana Downs. So he only this, so as of Wednesday today, he's got two entered at Saratoga, uh, and he needs two to tie. So I'm not really expecting it to happen Wednesday, but we'll see at some point this week. He he after he won the um, Amsterdam with. Uh, Jackie's Warrior last weekend. He said, you know what would be kind of cool? Because at the time he still needed, uh, I think, four or five, but he had horses entered in, at, at tracks all over the place on Monday and Tuesday when Saratoga was dark. He said, you know what? Maybe they'll wait and, and Silver State will do it in the Whitney on Saturday, which would be really amazing if he tied or broke Dale Baird's uh, all time career North American training wins uh, record. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be dead by then. I think the record's going to be crushed by then. But it would be kind of interesting if he went into the Whitney with the, you know, the, this thing still to to uh, achieve. Yeah. Speaking of the Whitney, obviously it's a big weekend. That's the highlight of the weekend. But there are a lot of stake races going on. What what one or two stands out to you besides the Whitney? Um, the, I would say the one that I'm kind of interested in is the test because. Um, uh, before the meet started, Chad Brown said um, search results was – he's got a really good filly named search results, and she just got beat. And so we were kind of wondering if she'd wind up in, you know, the typical coaching club American Oaks in Alabama, which are the longer races. But he, he said, nah, we're going we're gonna to pull her back in distance for the test. Not ruling out lengthening her in, in you know, distance-wise after that, but the first shot back that she's going to get is in the test – and you might have another interesting filly named Always Karina in there. Um, so we'll see when the entries come out. But um, the, the test is the one that sticks out for me is um, kind of like the sidelight to the Whitney just be, just because of the presence of search results in there. Yeah. Uh, let's go off topic, uh, horse, non-horse racing. Emma White, uh, Dwaynesburg High School, Union College, gets a bronze medal in uh, cycling on Tuesday morning. Yeah, she competes um, with Team USA in um, track cycling team pursuit, which I'm, with each passing day, I'm learning more and more about this uh, discipline of cycling, which I really didn't know anything about until I started writing about her a couple years ago. Um, good for them to win the bronze medal. Um, by my calculation or observation of the 20 performances over the course of qualifying first round and medal round 12 of them were fast enough to break the world record for 4,000 meters coming into this olympics which was set in 2016 by great britain and team usa was had a couple of those um you know fast world record caliber times of course germany um nobody was touching them and they broke the world record all three times that they rode but man um no shame at all getting the bronze medal on that over the course of those two days just because everybody was going so fast and, and just blasting fast times that, you know, <laughs> bronze medal it almost seems like a victory in, in a lot of ways. So good for Emma. Um, we'll try to catch up with her later this week. Um, I know she's traveling today, Wednesday, from Tokyo. They, they really were kind of very conscious of the whole COVID thing because, you know, obviously in Japan and specifically Tokyo kind of had a spike before the Olympics and they were in a state of emergency. So they, they left here late and they came back early to just not be over there a lot. And so, so Emma will be back home uh, this week and hopefully we can catch up with her and get, and take a look at her, uh, Beautiful bronze medal. Yeah, that's good. So uh, you can follow Mike's Sarasota uh, coverage at on Twitter at, uh, at uh, Mike underscore McAdam. And, of course, all his stories in the Daily Gazette and at DailyGazette.com. Mike, thanks. And uh, we'll look forward to your review of the Whitney uh, weekend uh, next week. All right. Thanks for having me on, Ken. All right. That's Mike McAdam, Union College sports psychologist. Dr. Wally Bizdell joins me next to discuss the sports mental health. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast.
Hey, Saratoga horse racing fans. Have a chance to win a $50 gift card by playing the Daily Gazette's Saratoga Pick 7. Here's what you do. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racetrack and win the $50 gift card. To play, go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Albany Empire quarterback Tommy Grady. You're listening to Parting Shot Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Sports athletes' mental health has been a major topic of discussion this year, especially during the Summer Olympics with United States gymnast Simone Biles. To discuss the topic is the Union College sports psychologist and former Dutchman hockey player, Dr. Wally Bizdell. Wally, welcome back to the podcast. How are things going? Thanks, Ken. It's uh, it's good to be chatting with you, and uh, things are going very well. Of course, I had to mention that you were a former hockey player going back to uh, 1991 when I first covered the team. And, God, I mean, what do you remember about those years, uh, you know, with the transition from D3 to D1? You know, I, I think um, for, for me, uh, the the um, the experience of a you know obviously higher level of competition, the the anticipation of it, the excitement of it, the uh, the worries about it. Uh, I think uh, in the locker room, individually and collectively. So uh, uh, you know, and then I think uh, you know, as I look back, just the the tremendous opportunity it was to be part of that uh, that transition and that change and. Uh, and, and now I just um, uh, I'm amazed at the level of player that we have at Union College and the uh, the skill set and the quality of the people that we have. Yeah, well, let's talk about this. I mean, obviously, this has been a, the sports uh, health, mental health has been, a, you know, as I said, it's really been talked about a lot during these Olympics. Simone Biles, uh, even before that, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player, pulled out of the French Open because she was feeling uh, stressed. Uh, Dealing with reporters, answering questions. Uh, what, what, what? Is this a good thing? We're now we're starting to talk about this. We, we, it's sort of like you know, we think uh, the athletes, oh, they're strong. They don't need mental health. But I mean, it's we're, we're getting to the point now. I mean, I think you know, Michael Phelps was talking about it a lot when he was being interviewed uh, by uh, Mike Tirico. Uh, I think during the, during one of the telecasts of the Olympics. It just seemed we're we're, we're getting to the point now where I think we, we I think we have a better understanding of what it's like. Uh, the athletes go through yeah i i think it's uh i think it's it's great that we're we're talking about it it's uh it's needed uh, i think it's long overdue um uh, so it's uh it's too bad that it's taken to, to this moment for it to be on the uh the forefront because you know we can we can dig back through history and there are plenty of athletes that uh, whether they came out and said it or not if you look back now through a different lens, you can see that, you know, there, there were some real challenges that they were having with uh, probably their ability to manage some of the anxiety, the stressors, and the life demands that we all encounter. And, uh, you know, I think uh, today we're, we're, we're starting to understand that uh, being a great athlete and being terrific at your craft does not make you immune to all the other stressors, strains, challenges, and mental health concerns that we just face as people. Mm-hmm. I mean, with... Obviously, the pressures of obviously social media. I think does does that really play a part now? Because I mean, people are out there criticizing. We we saw a lot of blowback against uh, Simone Biles with her her decision to uh, to uh, pull out of certain some of the gymnastics events. I mean, does that add to the strain? Well, you know, I, I think uh, you know maybe one way to look at it is for for any of us if we're in a situation. And, um, you know, let's say right now, Ken, you and I are, are on the line here. We're discussing this. And, you know, what, what happens if, uh, if there, there's a whole audience of, of thousands and hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of people that we don't know and they're watching us and they're criticizing us? Mm-hmm. How well we do something, how poorly we do something. Um, and, and, and what do we do with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, I, I'm a sports fan. I'm maybe I'm guilty of, of that a lot because uh, I, I think you know, these guys could do do better. I mean, sometimes they make simple mistakes, and you wonder why they do them. And some, you know, some athletes are you know they like to come back with at, at them, or some athletes just sort of let it uh, uh, let it go go over go under the bridge. So it's it's uh, we're in a different world. I mean, when you played at Union, I mean, do you, 
was the stress that great, or did, did you wish you had, to, had a sports psychologist when you played? Well, I definitely wish I had a sports psychologist when I played. Probably one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, would have been great to, to understand myself better, understand what I was going through. No, I think it was a, a, certainly a different era um, w- when I was there. I think that the, the media coverage, the, um, the immediate access for people to criticize you today, um, for people to critique what you're doing, uh, for, for people to, to really um, – to judge is uh, is different than it was, uh, but and, and I think that adds to for, for many athletes, not for all, um, the strain and the stress. But I don't think that's just it, you know. So um, let's let's keep in mind that you know mental illness and um, true anxiety disorders and depression and uh, eating disorders and all of those mental health concerns that uh, are, are prevalent in society. Mm-hmm. Athletes, they have those same challenges. And now, while they're going through those challenges, they have other people pointing fingers and uh, scrutinizing them. Um, so it's added to what we all experience. And, you know, being exceptional at your craft and being well trained at a particular skill set and having all of the resilience and the fortitude and the mental toughness to uh to be able to you know to train the way they have to train and perform the way they have to perform still does not mean that you won't be challenged by mental health concerns yeah I mean, especially with, with the, the, the pandemic we've been going through, and it looks like we're going through a, a fourth wave with this Delta variant. I mean, how much of that has added to the stress? I mean, not only for you know you and I, but for athletes, because especially you know these Olympic athletes, they train to get ready for an Olympics that was supposed to happen last year and got postponed, and that's now you got to think: Do I want to go through another year of training, and is it going to be worth it? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I would, um, you know, I don't want to speak to any specific athlete because, you know, without talking to them, I, I can't yeah. say how things have affected them or not. Um, but, but I think for most of us, you know, we, we've, we've, we've experienced changes and, you know, probably mood changes and energy changes. And uh, I think one of the things that we're, we're starting to read and see about and hear about and it's starting to be studied is how people are experiencing a little bit of perspective changes in their lives. You know, for people who might have been working 70 hours a week, all of a sudden they might be like, boy, I, I like being around my family more. Or I'm considering a new profession. Or I'm reevaluating the priorities in my life. Um, so, so there's that aspect. And then there's that aspect uh, that, that comes with, you know, all of the... Uh, the dangers of isolation and feeling socially isolated and feeling disconnected from your support system and feeling disconnected from the things that, that we want to do and, and actually being disconnected at times. And, and what that can lead to in terms of, you know, the, the, the struggle with, with, with mood and the struggle with energy. And, you know, so I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's probably likely that uh, just like the rest of us, all of these athletes had those same challenges and I need to commit for another year. Yeah. And I'm being criticized. And all of my mistakes are being judged in the public eye. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an awful lot to bear. Yeah. And especially, I mean, we, I mean, this is obviously a tough topic to discuss, but Simone Biles was involved in that Larry Nasser abuse situation. And I mean, that's got to add another level of stress dealing with that. And I mean, talking about that and, you know, trying to get through that. Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to dive too much, you know, into that because I, I don't know Simone. I've never yeah. talked with her. Um, but what we do know is clear that, uh, you know, trauma sticks with us. And, you know, uh, the damage of assaults to, um, to, to, to anybody that survived them um, can be immense and it takes an awful lot of, um, of work to, to, to work through those and uh, to be a survivor of those. And uh, there are going to be times where that's triggered and, and it does affect us. And, uh, you know, I, I would assume that for, 
you know, for, for others that are in the public eye, that, that's been the case. It, it's another added layer. Um, and there's probably some triggers within our sport that bring back uh, many of those, um, you know, those, those, those moments from the past um, that, that were forced upon her. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, you, you work at Union with the, the athletes there. They went, they had, didn't play hockey, didn't play football. And a lot of, obviously, the fall winter sports uh, were postponed. And not getting into any specific player or anything like that, but in general, how have you talked to the players and getting them through this situation, knowing that they, you know, they lost a year of being able to play their sport? Yeah, well, I think there, there's a little bit of a, a before, a during, and an after with, with, with everything that we encounter. Um, you know, so when we think about when, when they didn't know that they were going to lose the year, when there was still the possibility to play, there was, uh, you know, there, there was still, you know, well, how do I keep training and what if I don't? And, you know, so there was a lot of, a lot of work to connecting to, um, you know, what are the things that are important to me and how do I want to be as a person and what can I control and how can I structure my life to make it as normal, as healthy, as well functioning as I can um, during the time when, when, when players learned that, hey, we're not going to be able to compete. Well, what are your resources and your support? What do you want to accomplish in this period of time? Um, building relationships. What other skills can we build? Um, and, and then managing the, the disappointment. And just like, like anything else in life, people's responses and reactions were very individual. Um, so for some folks, there's a there's a quick okay. This is what I want to do next. For some, there was relief because the virus was scary for them, mm-hmm. as it is for many. Uh, of you know, I didn't want to be in that position uh, where I was putting the people around me, uh, my loved ones, at risk because I was playing a sport. Um, so I, I think there was that, and then the the afterwards, it's okay. So now what? And, you know, here we have this promising season coming up and how do we prepare for that? So, you know, I think there's that before, during and after. And it, w- it was really trying to meet people where they were at, where their responses were and, and to try to help them uh, to be able to do the things that they can control and to, to live a life of purpose and meaning um, despite having this loss. And, and it was it was a loss. Like yeah. it would it was a loss. Yeah, especially some some the athletes, student athletes, have to decide if they want to. Because you know, obviously, there's no graduate school if they the seniors if they want to you know take a year off and have that senior year of eligibility or decide to finish out and transfer to to, to a, a graduate pro, program in another school. So that had to add a level of stress for some of these athletes. Well, well, absolutely, and uh, you know, and th- those are big life decisions uh, when everything is going your way, and, and this is something that you know. Uh, well, let's say we have somebody that, uh, that that works super hard and graduates early, and now they have an opportunity to go to graduate school somewhere and, and transfer and play. And, and that's a big decision when it's all because you worked hard and you wanted it. it it's a uh, it's an even more difficult decision when it's uh, kind of forced upon you by circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, uh, for, for some, this was a you know it became a tremendous opportunity. But anytime you transition. Um, there's, there can be a sense of loss because there's uncertainty. Uh, and then it's trying to help people focus on, well, what can be gained and to acknowledge things the way that they really are. Nothing more, nothing less. But how are things really at this moment? What are the opportunities I really have? And then what do I want to do that's going to be best for me and my future uh, and still be respectful to the people I care about around our campus and our community? How do we convince the people who don't believe that Sports uh, mental health is important. How do you convince these people that it is you need to treat it like a knee injury, like a, a like a heart uh, a concussion? What do you need to do to convince these uh, people that that you got to change your attitude? Man, man if, Ken, if you and I can come up with that, that that's the million dollar question. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's the thing. I, I don't, you know, um, changing attitudes is, is is a whole you know science in itself. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I don't know if it's so much talking to the people that have made up their minds and they're never going to budge and they have no interest in hearing another side. I look at this as more of trying to reach the people that are well-intentioned and, and, and really do 
have, um, you know, the best interests of, of athletes and others at heart and, and just maybe hadn't been aware of this or maybe hadn't seen things in, in the way that, uh, you know, Simone has made uh, a gift of for us to, to really put out there in the public eye um, that mental health is something that affects athletes. And, you know, I, I hope, and I, I've talked before with, with some friends and some colleagues about, I, I hope the rest of us can really accept the gift that Simone has given us because she has. She's given us a chance to pause and take, take a step back and to really look at athletes as people first. Well, not, not as a commodity, not as a transactional, we're paying for a ticket, they owe us this or owe us that. They're people. And people struggle. And if we can accept that gift and recognize that, I think, you know, athletics as a whole will be better. Society will be better. And, you know, you and I are talking about Olympians and collegiate athletes. But I think we would be wise to also step back to high school, youth sport. These things that we're seeing in the public vision right now because Simone's given us this gift are also affecting boys and girls and young men and young women. And if, if administrators in athletic departments, if coaches, if volunteer coaches in youth sport organizations, is you as a reporter, myself, if we can be more in tune to that, pay attention to it, make space for that to be part of the discussion, we can do a lot of good, but only if we accept the gift that was given to us. Yeah. Uh, well said, Wally. Appreciate a few minutes talking about this topic. I mean, as obviously, I hope we continue to, to evolve and talk more about this uh, with the mental health of the athletes, and it's it's a very important topic. And I hope we continue to you know discuss that, and then you know, people start to realize it's part of you know we we need to talk about this. Uh, me as well, and I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to, to, you know, put this out there on your podcast and, uh, you know, hopefully reach some people and, and hopefully influence some people in a positive way. All right. Appreciate it again, Wally. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Ken. Right, that's Dr. Wally Bizdell. Up next, I'll speak with former Union College baseball pitcher Jake Fishman about his experience playing for Team Israel in the Summer Olympics. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the Daily Gazette Sports Newsletter. The newsletter, which comes out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, I'm Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette, and you're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schaaf. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest was a standout pitcher for Union College, and he's uh, just recently completed a run at the Olympics for Team Israel. Let's welcome Jake Fishman to the broadcast. Jake, welcome. And uh, for the first time ever, I can honestly tell you, I'm talking to somebody in Japan. I've never done that before. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we should tell everybody we're taping. It's right now I'm taping at 12.38 a.m. on Wednesday, and you said it's about 1.38 a.m. out in Tokyo. Yep, yep. So I was 1.38 p.m., I should say, 1.38 p.m. But, uh, uh, Jake, just talk about the experience, uh, you know, going to the Olympics. Uh, I mean, you guys got eliminated by the Dominican Republic in, uh, with Jose Batista getting the game-winning hit uh, on uh, Tuesday. But what was the experience like? Uh, it, it's really tough to describe, that's for sure. Um, it's it's been an incredible experience just being able to stay in the Olympic Village see all these other elite athletes that are the best in the world uh, you know we share the same facilities with them we eat with them uh, you know we get to meet all these really cool people um, and then you know we, we get to play some really really good baseball um, we had some crazy games they were the most intense games I've ever been a part of and it's just a, it's a lot to take in. It's very overwhelming, um, but it's it's incredible. 
I mean, how did it come about for you to uh, get on the team? Um, so in 2016, I played in the Cape Cod League for Jerry Weinstein, and he was the coach of the World Baseball Classic Team Israel team. So he um, had me on as a reserve on that team. So I didn't end up, end up going to play, but um, I was on the roster, expanded roster, and that's how uh, you know I got involved in the Team Israel baseball world uh so they kind of knew me from that and reached out to me after they qualified for the olympics um and then went out got my citizenship uh for israel and then that allowed me to compete i mean this the thrill of it i mean obviously probably unexpected but to be able to to do it just uh, yeah. How did you get yourself prepared for? Because I mean, obviously you're pitching in the minor leagues in the AAA uh, with the Miami Marlins. Uh, I mean, how did you? How did that whole come about? Saying you know, to the Marlins that we have this chance of pitching the Olympics. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, I brought it up to the Marlins, um, and they were definitely supportive. They allowed me to go, even though it was in the middle of the season. Uh, we we actually had another. Uh, teammate Eddie Alvarez, who was in Jacksonville with me, who went and he was actually the flag bearer for the U.S., which was great. I mean, I'm so happy for him. Yeah. Um, he's still competing out there. And, um, yeah, so, you know, they let us go. Um, it's it's really difficult to prepare for a situation like the Olympics uh, where the stage is so big. You just have to, you know, keep uh, keep doing the work that you know you need to do, and uh, and that's all you can do to prepare. Now, you got in the uh, game against South Korea last Thursday, so I guess sort of unexpectedly when uh, you, the starting pitcher uh, was out because of an elbow situation, so, I mean, you get thrown right into the fire. Yeah, yeah, right away. Um, it, it was obviously uh, a rush of emotions, you know, watching – John Moscott have that injury. Um, you feel terrible for him, and and in that moment, you're in your head. You're like, I have to focus. You know, I have to go out and pitch, um, and just did my best to focus one pitch at a time, and uh, and go as far as I could. Yeah, and then you got a chance to uh, pitch uh, uh, against uh, Mexico in a twelve twelve five victory. You pitched one in the third innings in that game. Yeah, what was it like, man? man we know Mexico you know, had very big baseball in the uh, country, and to beat them to get to the uh, chance to play for a medal, what, what was that like? It was awesome. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I'm really glad that, you know, obviously we won that game. Uh, being able to pitch in it is, is very special. Um, it gave us a chance to... Uh, get into the next game against uh, Korea again. Um, and then, you know, even though we lost that, we were still in a good position uh, to advance in. But we just didn't, you know, it just didn't work out our way in the final game. Yeah. But um, very, very special to be able to pitch in that game against Mexico. Yeah, you pitched in the game against the Dominican Republic. It looked like a back-and-forth game, and it was ended with a, a former Major League slugger, Jose Bautista, best known for his uh, years in the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, and, of course, you were in that organization for a while uh, with a game-winning single. Of course, he did a signature backflip, which I guess that had to be a little annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it is what it is. He got the job done. Um, I think. find how that game went. Yeah. And uh, it was just that, that final final moment that it came down to. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, what will you take out of this, this experience of uh, being in, in, in Tokyo, especially with, with the, what's going on with the, you know, the coronavirus and, you know, there were no fans uh, allowed at the uh, venues. Um, what, what was that like? It was definitely... I think we're, I kinda, I think we're, we're having a little problem there, Jake. So if you can start your answer again, I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> well, I think, um, it does. Am I still going in and out? Yeah, he's still going in and out. But let's, let's keep let's keep working at it. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Um, I'll try to move locations a little bit. Okay. Um, but there are uh, there's a lot of protocols here. 
Um, it does add some stress to everything that's going on. Um, not having fans was interesting, but it, it, uh, the, the intensity in the games was still at an all time high for me and everybody else. Um, you know, you, you still can't take a pitch off. Everybody's locked in at, at all moments. Um, and we were just relying on ourselves to, you know, bring the energy to the games. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the protocols. I mean, you, you guys were basically, you know, could you, what could you do? What couldn't you do? So we can't leave the village unless it's going to practice or a game. Um, you know, we're basically trapped in the village. Um, but there is a lot of stuff to do here. They have basically everything we could ever need here for our stay. Yeah, um, I mean, I just watching it. Obviously, you know, it was the whole situation with this coronavirus, and it's it's just you, you see not seeing fans there, and it's just really disappointing. It really, I mean, in watching some of these events, it just takes a little bit of the luster out. And I mean, is that the one maybe you know, drawback for this for your first Olympic experience that you weren't able to maybe have fans or even maybe family come over? Yeah, definitely. You know, it, it would have been incredible to have my family here. Um, and, you know, having the, the stands filled with fans would have been awesome. Um, but it was still incredible. It was still an amazing experience, regardless of, of whether fans were there or not. Um, there were so many people and friends and family that were watching and, you know, watching every game, every inning, reaching out. Um, so it was still special. And you had a former major leaguer in Egan Kinsler playing for the team. Well, what did he bring to the team? What did what his veteran leadership? He's, Kinsler's awesome. He's, uh, he's a leader. He's a veteran. He's, he's been around the block. So, he's done this so many times, so many years. Um, it's, it's just really good to have a guy like that who can lead your, lead your team. Um, you know, he's, he's ready to face anything on the field. Now you will you'll return to uh, Jacksonville with the uh, Jeff, nice next team nickname the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. I like that. Nickname. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, how are things down there? You know, you have a two and one record down there with a, a three point nine seven ERA and thirty four innings. Obviously, a new organization with the Marlins after being uh, drafted by the Blue Jays. And uh, you know, what's it been like uh, in the Marlins system? Uh, you know, pitching for them. Uh, it's been great. They have a great group of guys. Uh, especially in Jacksonville, and I've been having a lot of fun playing for them. Uh, and, you know, I'm definitely very thankful they're giving me an opportunity in AAA, uh, so I'm just trying to make the best of it. Especially with the Marlins, with some of the moves they made right before the trade deadline. I mean, have they given you any indication, especially when September rolls around, if there's going to be any call-ups? Uh, they haven't said anything. Um, you know, I try not to worry about that stuff or think too much into it. So for me, I just try and keep pitching well and, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. If, if they're ready to call me up, then, then it'll happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you, you'll be flying back on Thursday. Uh, so I mean, what's, that's be, I, mean, I imagine jet lag is going to be an issue. Yeah, yes, definitely. <laughs> I'll be tired for a couple of days, but I'll work through it. It'll be fine. Well, Jake, I appreciate a few minutes, uh, you know, talking to me uh, while you're in Japan. I appreciate it. Uh, good luck and congratulations on the, the great Olympics. Uh, I guess, the, like I said, the experience had to be just once in a lifetime. And do you hope to have maybe another chance in three years? Yep, yep, it'll be amazing. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All right, Jake, appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. All right, that's Jake Fishman. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by Second Street 
if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is RPI men's hockey coach Dave Smith, and you are listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The NASCAR season returns Sunday at Watkins Glen, so sign up and play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you'd like to play the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the link for contests and promotions. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates and news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Mike McAdam, Dr. Wally Bizdell, and Jake Fishman for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.